0: Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, women's empowerment coach specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow sisters to energize you into living your bold. The question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Emboldened. Hello and welcome, Femboldeners. I am really excited about today's episode with today's guest, Jerry Fu. We just met uh, six minutes ago. (laughs) He is our first male guest here on Femboldened, and I am so pumped to really hear his wisdom, hear hear his stories, learn who he is, and, and hopefully provide some insight for my listeners today. Jerry is a conflict resolution coach. How needed is that? who helps Asian American leaders advance in their career and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, which isn't easy. I can tell you that from indirect experience, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the conflict they encounter at work with their culture and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, Jerry served as a pharmacist, again, not easy, and began facilitating leadership workshops in 2012. Today, Jerry offers a range of coaching services, which includes individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. He has appeared on over 30 podcasts and planned to appear on plenty more, and I am so excited to have him appear on And Welcome, Jerry. How are you? What's alive for you today?
1: Oh, man. Uh, you know, thanks for having me, Angelica. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I, I always love the energy I get when I know I'm going to uh, be on a podcast and then have a meaningful conversation that's going to plant lots of seeds that will reap dividends for so many other people.
0: Oh, my goodness. Isn't that what it's all about? I love having conversation. And I don't know about you. Recently, I've been missing it. I've been missing having the living room conversations with a good friend mm-hmm. on the couch. Have you been able to, throughout the pandemic, have continued these conversations outside of podcasting? Cause I know you, I mean, here are 30, over 30 podcasts you've been on. Have you been able to, I guess, have, like I say, yeah, have those deep conversations that, that really lift you up?
1: Occasionally. um Yeah. You know, me and, um, you know, some friends with, we feel like it's, it's a safe gathering and people, you know, vet themselves well, right. They they're vaccinated or they, you know, they don't have any active symptoms and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and we make sure you know, when the numbers stay low and, you know, I, I love cooking and, uh, you know, when you love cooking, you meet other people who love cooking. And so it's, mm-hmm. always a good time. And the people who tend to like cooking usually aren't boring people because they're always trying new recipes, right. They're always trying something different. They're learning about some new culture food. And, you know, rich gets, just get richer when it comes to creativity.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You know, I'm, I'm not a big cook. Um, mm-hmm. If it's not ready in five minutes, I'm, I'm really not interested, <laughs> <It's okay>. but <laughs> I I am grateful for those who can and those who love it because it's, it. you're absolutely right. There's so, so much creativity and you hit the nail on the head. There's that willingness to take risk mm-hmm. that I think a lot of us are uh, that we shy away from, right. Mm -hmm. We're kind of taught at least in in my experience that I'm so interested to hear your experience growing up and within your, your culture, what, what was the, I guess, what was the rules on risk-taking?
1: Oh, great question. Um, my mom actually isn't very big on risk, (laughs) but like, I think most moms are right. They, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they want the kids to drive safe cars and, and marry safe women and, you know, go to safe schools and, you know, live in safe neighborhoods, which on some level is understandable. Right. Um, I think there is a degree of recklessness that uh, can 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 work against people who have that sense of adventure. Uh, one example that comes to mind, you know, of a friend, a pharmacist friend who loves riding motorcycles actually got an accident and had to amputate um, uh, his left leg below the knee because uh, mm-hmm. the leg got crushed underneath the motorcycle. And um, he either had to amputate the leg or try to save it with, you know, the vertebrae, which would have left him bedridden. And, you know, he wisely, in his case, the wise decision was to amputate. So he's able to, you know, his prosthetic is, you know, it's, it's no one, It's nothing anyone looks forward to having, but at the same time, he's done some amazing things like he's run a marathon on it, uh, continues to help with the St. Jude half marathon on a consistent basis. But the funny thing is coming back to your point, right. He still has that itch to ride and his wife can't stand that. (laughs) So, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's something you have to, you know, that's just wisdom that comes with experience and other things like that. Right. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. How do you fail fast and fail cheap? Uh, In a way that you say, okay, yeah, let's, let's find places that where failure is not fatal and let's make the most of those as Mm. opposed to, you know, like putting yourself in like physical danger on a regular basis and just hoping that things work out. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and coming back to who you are and, and the work that you do for this world, Mm -hmm. resolving conflict in this day and age kind of is risky. It feels risky and most people just avoid it. Can you speak to that?
1: Of course. Yeah. It's uh, my cross to bear really. <laughs> and uh, I say that because I remember Seth Godin wrote something in tribes where he talked about what if the biggest risk is staying safe. And I mean, we see that in pharmacy all the time, not to touch my day job too much, but at one point, pharmacy was content to dispense because the margins were so nice, and they didn't feel like they needed to continue to grow and shape and design the practice in a way that would kind of pioneer things, right, or stay ahead of the curve. And now uh, we're just playing catch up, and we're and we're you know subject to forces beyond our control, like reimbursements, other things. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I see it in leadership all the time. The biggest risk is to hope that people will figure out. What your expectations are for them on their own, even though there's evidence to the contrary, and they to think that they will automatically uh, rise to your standard without any kind of guidance or input, um, you could do that. Maybe it'll happen, but what are the chances? Like, what kind of risk is that? Uh, you know, what kind of risk are you willing to take if you are willing to stay silent over a problem you know needs your attention?
0: Mm. And and you were somebody that stayed silent for a little while, right? In your oh, roles yeah. oh, and, and, yeah. and in your leadership roles,
1: of course. Who
0: who did you have to become in order to take the risk of addressing conflict, of addressing the tension, of saying, "Hey, this isn't okay." Here is a here is a possible solution. What what has that looked like over the years?
1: Yeah. So the example I'll give here is uh, at a I ended up at a shady pharmacy job, just this really, um, you know, house of cards startup after I gotten fired from the job I moved to Houston for, I was with a consulting company. I wanted to get into teaching, um, realized very quickly that I was, I was in over my head and didn't know how to address that. And by the time, uh, the company figured out that I was not up to standard, you know, they, they let me go. And so anyway, so after six Weeks of waiting, trying to find a job. I finally find you know this company that's trying to that's trying to you know hire me, convince me that I'm uh, you know I'm I'm the guy they need to get this thing off the ground. And in the process of working for this guy, um, four of my paychecks bounce. And the first time, you know, well, you know, things happen, right? Accidents happen. Maybe there's something going on there. But then, you know, two, three, and four, it's like okay. Right. One of three conclusions is, is likely one he's incompetent. Number two, he's apathetic or three, he's just blatantly evil. Right. Uh, and blatantly ripping people off. And so, but what do I do? Right. I, I would tell my friends, I said, well, you know, um, you know, I'll, I'll honor my part of the contract, even if he doesn't honor his. Mm. And all my friends are saying, you need to leave. If he's not paying you, you need to leave. How are you going to pay your bills? And so of course, I have no idea how to confront this guy, right? I'm this sheltered kid who doesn't know, you know, or like just life getting life. Life hit me fast when I had a bad roommate. How am I going to deal with a boss? Is clearly ripping me off, right? Mm. So, um, you know, when you don't know how to fire your gun, you just kind of like to make noises and you shoot to the side, right? So I would complain to everybody else about the situation, but I wouldn't actually talk to my boss about it. And that's a, a common sign that you are. Uh, not good at conflict, right? <laughs> it's just when you talk about the problem with everyone except the person you need to address the problem with, uh, that's usually a pretty good sign that uh, mm-hmm. like you're not in a good place. And so, thankfully, with enough help from other people who were advocating for me, you know, to my boss to say, "Hey, you got it. You know, Jerry's working for you. You got to take care of this, regardless of whatever's going on that over there." But clearly, I was. Um, far and away from the person I need to be to really trust conflict. Well, um, so the next company I was with, I, you know, by now I taught some leadership workshops, got some confidence in me to take on leadership challenges. knew I couldn't shy away from them if I expected to stay employed in pharmacy. Um, but then I had a technician who had a bad attitude. Um, you know, if, uh, if she antagonized the customer, she just immediately transferred to me and just let me clean up the mess like clearly she just wasn't pulling her weight. But again, in my, in my aversion to conflict, I would continue to say, well, let me just show grace. Let me just show grace. And it's like, on one hand you can show grace, but when it's an excuse not to address the problem, like grace doesn't shy away from difficult situations. The whole point of showing grace is that you still need to engage the person. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, this technician would, uh, we'll call her, we'll call her, uh, esther so esther you know she would have to leave early for personal drama reasons other things like that and i could have she gave me enough evidence to build a case against her to fire her legitimately but i just didn't do it and so by the time i asked management for help on how to deal with the situation right i had no leverage against her right they're like you should have you know been tracking all her tardies or her, you know, early absences and like, and this is how you deal with it. Right. Um, you need to, as a leader, have these hard conversations, discipline people, even fire them if necessary. And so unfortunately for me, I ended up getting written up because I was not keeping my technicians in line. And so my conflict diversion was clearly hurting me and my stance with the company and even jeopardizing my, my employment status again. Right. And so, I had to very quickly, you know, eat that humble pie, get some feedback from friends and ask for their help. Hey, how would you handle this? If you were in my situation, right? Let me listen to people who I know are good leaders, uh, and see how they would suggest to step into the situation. And so I'll be, I haven't said this specific detail on any podcast until now. So this is like, you know, fresh and fresh, new content for your podcast. <laughs> and, um, so esther at some point after i get reassigned to another store um, just my luck uh the technician there that i got along with was already ready to quit and so she goes up oh, i you know i i'm done in two days and it was like crap like i don't even have a full team so what does management do they're like oh we're gonna transfer esther to come up there with you uh, like that's <laughs> your new store and i thought to myself man like like the whole point of me, like the one blessing in getting re- reassigned to a store much farther away from where I was living, uh, by the way, uh, yeah. was that I wouldn't have to work with Esther anymore. Like I would actually <laughs> be able to kind of start with a new team. And instead, uh, she follows me here. Mm. Now, to be fair, Esther was a lot happier at this store because it was a lot closer to where she lived. Part of the reason for her bad attitude was that uh, she had to drive so far into town just to work with me, okay. which whom she didn't care for. And so she was a slightly better worker for at least a day or so, but. I, I just knew I wasn't now I have to drive farther to work and I still have to work with her. So, um, somehow I sh- like, somehow there's some sequence of events where she just realized she just got ticked off at the, at the way the company was treating her. Like management clearly didn't like her, even though, uh, you know, they, they didn't have enough evidence to fire her. But so, so she, so she talks over some other friends and she realizes, Oh, you know, if I put in two weeks, um, you know, I'll have, I'll, I have enough to land on my feet, you know, and I'll line something up. And so she, that day she decides to say, Hey, I'm quitting. I'm putting it. This my two weeks notice, you know, see you suckers. And, uh, so here's the weird thing is that management said, okay, thank you for your resignation. But the, the wrinkle is that Texas is an at will state. So, um, they went ahead and say, Hey, just make this to your last day. And she just all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know. Like she goes, I, you know, I was counting on that paycheck. What am I going to do? It's like, well, you know, you, 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 hit the flush button. They, you know, they flushed you, you know, two weeks early, you know, but she had no recourse now because she already put in the resignation. And so I will be happy to tell people that like me just being able to kind of push her over the edge, you know, was, was a win, <laughs> but clearly still far and away from what I need to be right in terms yeah. of writing her up, building a case. Um, and then and moving on from there so in all this right so then the next job more of the same challenges and i didn't really have to deal with um direct technician problems until until my until my current job uh which is uh, which started four years ago um and that was hard because there was a technician i brought up from my previous company who um she was one of the lead technicians but I didn't do my homework on her. I realized she was just because just she was in charge doesn't mean people like other technicians like working with her. So mm-hmm. we'll call her Lisa. So I brought Lisa on with my current company because the previous one went under for a number of insurance drama reasons. So I bring Lisa on and immediately we see a difference when Lisa is there versus when Lisa isn't. Mm. Um, Lisa is from the school that says, I have to make myself look good, even if that means undercutting my teammates right? Mm-hmm. She didn't want to mm-hmm. buy into the idea that the best way to look good is to elevate others. And mm. so at one point we confront her after we had a really bad situation with the patient miscommunication and a lot of money and time went into fixing a problem that she was technically responsible for. And when we sat her down, all she did was just keep dodging. And we couldn't really, we weren't trying to pin her, but we couldn't get her to understand that, The best response even if you aren't responsible directly for the problem is that you talk about ways that you could have helped you know prevent it or fix it but you know and so for that reason we wrote her up and then you know of course that didn't go over well and then eventually it just got so bad that we pushed her out the door and a lot of that uh leading up to that i remember me and my actual lead technician the other one uh lisa was not actually lead at this point but we would like go outside and complain and my lead tech was like, is it bad when I'd rather just quit than to deal with Lisa anymore? And I said, wait a second, like, we're in charge. Like, why are we like disengaging from the situation? That is completely a cop out, right? And so part of it, um, part of the transformation was rec- re- recognizing, remembering that, you know, um, leadership is not about titles, but you have a title for a reason. And you need to remember the authority that comes with that title. Uh, because at the end of the day, I had to own up to the fact that my unwillingness to engage the situation and discipline her and write her up and fire her, it was costing our team numbers, You know, productivity was down, morale was down, numbers were down because I was not willing to do more to address this situation. So I grew from that. And another thing that helped in growing for that was recognizing that the closure that came when we pushed Lisa out the door, right? the weight that was lifted from my shoulders and everyone else's shoulders oh my goodness like there was a change in the atmosphere in the pharmacy there was a change in everyone's countenance because they they weren't afraid anymore they didn't have to worry about this person coming in and you know wondering well is she in a good mood today or a bad mood today right you know and so uh, those are some key moments that say my growth. And I mean, it took a team around with me, right? Like my bosses had my back. They helped me you know, push her out the door. So I, I, I'm not here to pat myself on the back and, and say, yeah, you know, um, you know, that somehow I, I managed to kind of like find my way out of the dark. Like I had help like the entire, the entire way, um, whether it's resources I looked up on my own, you know, you get on Amazon, you type in difficult conversations, you read it, see, <laughs> and at the same time, the book is helpful and that, but you don't, the only way you actually gain anything from it is if you actually apply it. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are some uh, situations, at least on the work level where you, you recognize, okay, if I'm in the same situation, how would I want to be handled, right? Because I've, yeah. when I got fired, I I got pushed out the door pretty harshly. I'll admit, like it wasn't a fun conversation. But I, I, even though I knew I deserved it, it was just kind of like, okay, man, like I understand you're upset with me. You know, I understand you don't respect me anymore. Um, and at the same time, hey, I'm still human. You know, let's 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 try to do this right. And um, yeah, same thing here, where it's like, hey, you know, at best case scenario. You are, we do not appreciate your talents and you should move on to a company that does. So, you know, we have to part ways now. And to be able to say that with with gentleness and, res- and like, and to treat the person with dignity, even if, um, you know, she's lost my trust and respect. I think that's the that's the one thing I bring differently to the table when I have to have those different conversations. Like, okay, have some degree of compassion. Um, you can have contempt, uh, it may be justified and, uh, keep that to yourself because that's not going to help get the catcher get point across.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. Sure. Those were s- such relatable examples too. Yeah. And I, I, think, uh, I think the first hurdle we as humans could benefit from hopping over is the fact that we're not going to avoid conflict. The, the, just because there's tension and there's conflict and there's stuff happening in whatever relationship and whatever um, situation you may be in, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. And it, it, it you know, I think that that, that avoiding, like you, sh- like you shared, makes things worse. I love how you said the biggest sign to knowing that you are avoiding conflict is talking to everyone about that person, except for that person. (laughs) I'm curious to know if the, the amount of time that has passed with each, I like to call, um, challenges, opportunities for growth. So each opportunity for growth, has it gotten shorter and shorter for you to realize, uh, shit, I'm here again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You, you, you distill it down pretty quickly if that helps and you learn what measures do you need to put around yourself? What kind of system in a way you need to design for yourself to be sure that you don't uh, default to bad old habits, right. Um, you know, working out at the gym, you know, I, you know, is a great side example we can just unpack for a second. Right. So, um, we'll give an example, say, cause people tell me, you know, they say, well, if I go home and then try to get dressed and go to the gym, uh, I won't. Because once I'm home, I unpack, I unwind, I'm settled and oh, like, I don't want to put my stuff back on and go back out. So what do people do instead? The system is, Hey, put your water bottle in the car, have an extra at work in case you forget it, right? Pack a pair of shoes in your car, right? Have things there so that you can change into your, uh, gym clothes right after you finish work and you have no excuse uh not to head to the gym directly from work right and even costuming in your gym clothes puts you in a better frame of mind to actually go and work out right uh and so same thing was with conflict is when you say oh i see this sign there are some broken expectations that i need to address so let's say a technician uh mistypes a prescription right and now it's like okay my comfort side wants to just fix the problem without addressing it because it's the easy thing to do right oh well it's busy i start to rationalize oh well it's busy maybe it was just an honest mistake even though i've seen it before well maybe this time you know this time it was really an honest mistake so let me just default to comfort and instead it's you have to say well what's this going to cost you jerry right um are you willing to fix this problem every time it comes up now Mm -hmm. because that's basically what's going to happen if they don't if they're not aware that you're fixing it right Um, you know, it's like, you know, throwing away someone else's litter. Right. On one hand, I get to be the hero and, you know, I feel good that, you know, I did something about this, right. But the people that are littering, they don't change, right. Mm -hmm. If if someone else is cleaning up their litter for them. Why do they have to stop littering? Right. And this is the, so this is the kind of system that I have is just to say, okay, can I tolerate? can I afford to tolerate this? Yes or no, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's my next action? Oh, I should go talk to my technician about this, okay? What am I afraid? How am I afraid I'm going to come across? Well, I'm afraid I'm just, if I go in there too angry and too upset, okay, then this is not going to go well, okay? What do I need to say instead? Let me just get curious about the situation. Hey, so, you know, I was just wondering, you know, why did you type this this way, right? Mm. Right? Instead of me thinking, oh, you know, you're incompetent. I can't believe you made this mistake again. I've had to fix it several times, really. Anytime you put someone on the defensive, you've already lost, right? That's yeah. a, that's a, that's one of the tips that I haven't shared. Like, you our know, common mistakes, like anytime for someone on defensive, uh, you're done, like you can't, you're not going to get through to that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: amazing. And, you know, I, I, I haven't talked much about on, on our, on my podcast, uh, about my husband being a pharmacist mm-hmm. and understanding, like when you're in the world of pharmacy, mm-hmm the public does not understand what's happening on the other side of that counter. Um, you know, they, they understand that the phone's ringing and there's a drive-through sometimes and they're waiting a long time. And now you've got vaccinations to do too. And now COVID and mm-hmm. COVID testing and COVID vaccinations <laughs> on top of all of that other stuff. But yep. they don't realize that a lot of, especially in retail settings. Oh yeah. There's no lunch break. Mm. There is no pee breaks if you want to stay ahead, you show up an hour and a half ahead of time and you stay an hour and a half late. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're there for 14 hours. Um and they I I I I always am an advocate for for my for my husband, of course, and mm-hmm. for our pharmacy friends, because of mm-hmm. with with his network, I know all, all these pharmacists. Yeah. And it seems like conflict is. Is as is, is very happy living and procreating in pharmacy <laughs> pharmacy environments. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I think one because it's such a stressful job, mm-hmm. and let's face it, technicians really aren't making the money that they really should be, and neither mm-hmm. are pharmacists. So mm-hmm. you've already got that you know that occurring, and yep. then you have there's in retail there's these companies that are just scaling and scaling, and it, they say. We're here to take care of people, but really they're in for the bucks. And there's no way to, at least for my experience, there's no, there's really not a way to, to get your voice heard to the the C-suite, to those who are, who are making driving decisions. Um, what is your take on why conflict exists so much in in pharmacy? And, and I know it exists elsewhere too, but I feel like it's you've got to, you know, you gotta meet your quotas, right? You gotta fill, you don't want to go on red. I know all I know all these phrases. Right. And and you sometimes, like you said, it, it it is easier not to correct a mistake, just to correct the mistake for yourself because then you're gonna have if you have that conversation with your technician. Then you're going to have 20 other prescriptions that come through and you're going to go in the red. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, No, that's a great question. So before we zoom in on a couple of key examples, right, um, we have to, I feel the need to distinguish between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict.
0: Mm, Perfect. Um, Thank you.
1: Healthy conflict, right, is let's take an example of your business now versus your business in five years, Right. What makes you successful now may not be successful in five years, right? So that is a good conflict where companies actually, like, success, ironically, is actually the ultimate failure for some companies because they, they experienced success too quickly. They got comfortable and then they went obsolete, right? Yes. So same thing with your personal uh, growth, right? Uh, your current version of you and your future version of you, uh, there will be conflict because uh, what got you to... Uh, your current state in in life uh, may not work in five years, right? That is a good conflict. And there there are, I mean, and in a way, there are healthy conflicts in pharmacy, right? Make money and take care of patients, Mm -hmm. right? And the two don't always intersect, right? You know, they don't always perfectly align, right? Like a simple example is uh, companies that make cancer drugs, right? But then there's not, like, maybe it's an obscure cancer, right? And there's not enough, um, people with the disease to move enough product, and now they go under, right. And now, but there's still people that will still get this cancer and they say, sorry, the, the pharmaceutical company that was making this drug uh, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. How do you do with that? Right. It's just the, the harsh reality of, of the business side of healthcare, right? Yeah. What is profitable isn't always helpful and what is helpful isn't always profitable. So how do you find the happy medium? Like, do you, do you kind of, you know, bill Peter to pay Paul or, you know, what kind of outside the box solution are you willing to deal with, right? And it is the the conflict between healthcare and, and the bottom line, uh, you know, can lead to some really tough discussions, right? And as much as we want to believe that, well, if we err on the side of integrity every time that somehow, like the bills will take care of themselves, that's kind of naive, like, honestly, like, it's tough to say, well, you know, I'm just not going to fill it because, what what does healthcare, um, what kind of business, what kind of activity, the reward, right? I'll give an example, right, um, in pharmacy, right. I in past jobs, I, part of my incentive check uh, is based on script count, right. Mm-hmm. So then a patient may tell me, well, you know, do I really need this drug? And if technically the answer is no, but I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, my, that. That might affect my bonus. Right. Now there's an inherent conflict right then and there, right? Because I'm not rewarded for um telling people like how to be responsible with their medication and not to use the medication unless it's absolutely necessary. Right. Some countries will do that. Like if a pharmacist catches like uh in you know an excessive drug use thing and they, you know, return a drug to stock, like you know. The government still gives them like a dollar, you know, and but it's better than nothing, right? Because yeah. if I don't move scripts, then, you know, I don't make money, right? That's basically mm-hmm. how a lot of retail works. And so, so much emphasis is placed on script volume and margins to the point where all these companies just pushing out drugs that people don't actually need. So that's one part of the reason, right? We're rewarding the wrong behavior. Um, one thing I always tell people is that at one point I have to upsell gummy bears, uh, because that's the only way I can offset the fact that I'm giving away my clinical knowledge for free. You know, what do you do with that? Right. People call me up, Jerry. Hey, I, I got a question about this drug, da-da-da. I give them an answer and a recommendation and say, hey, thanks. Click. I didn't make any money off that phone call. Mm-hmm. Right. I I know people who graduate from pharmacy school in six-figure debt, and then they expect us to be able to answer drug questions uh, at no charge. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? right?
0: Mm, that's okay. Um,
1: so yeah, I mean, conflicts are all over the place and that's not even, we haven't even unpacked team dynamics of, of the conflict <laughs> aspect of just trying to even get your team to work in the middle of this business and healthcare, uh, yes. tightrope that you have to walk every single day. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's plenty of angles like, and yeah, pharmacy, honestly. Uh, well, I, I and I'm not saying this just because it's my take. I know a pharmacist who tells me like, she's like, this is, she's ready to quit pharmacy because she says, you know, I've only seen one example of a good team that worked well together. Everything else, like this is the most passive profession that I've, I've ever dealt with. Mm. And I just thought to myself, you know, what are we, what are we doing where she's not even happy that she has the privilege of, of, you know, taking care of other people. Right. Yeah. What do you do with that? So, yeah.
0: Oof, yeah. You're absolutely right. I hear, that. I hear that so often. And it's not just in pharmacy. It's in it's it's happening in I want I'm dare I say all healthcare professionals. Oh, I'm sure. Even even pre pandemic. Oh yeah. I mean my my good friends who are occupational therapists they mm. they're going through jobs because they're not they, again they're like you said there's this conflict of what I know to be I don't want to say ethical but what I know to be good quality care oh, versus yeah. what. I need to do in order to keep this job. Yep. And that's something that I face as a physician assistant. There's no way that I can adequa- adequately have a conversation and treat a patient in 15 minutes.
1: Oh, of course not. No. So I
0: would give up my lunch oh, so that no. I could spend that extra time. Right. So so yeah. that exists. This is such an important conversation. So how how do you, now that you know what you know and you've grown through what you've grown through, how do you now, when you enter a new team let's say so like 4 years ago when you started this new new position and you and teams are always changing too that's the other thing that you're yeah. but but in a perfect world you have a team and then they're there forever <laughs> yeah. how, how do you how do you see conflict how do you work through it and how do you really create um and uh, and nourish the team to make the, the job and individual positions as enjoyable as possible?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, I think, yeah, number one, um, you know, as a leader have that right combination of warmth and authority, um, because on one hand you want to be a leader that people love following that people, you know, love being around, love learning from, uh, set the right example, right. Make sure that you don't have to always be like first in and last out because that, that, you know, implies a lack of self-care. Right. But there should be no question about how hard you work on the clock. Um, so part of it is just setting the example that I know I want to be for other people. Like, you know, as they say in leadership, right. Uh, don't ask anyone else to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And then to navigate somehow, okay, when do I handle this myself? And then how soon do I delegate? Right. To other people, because if I'm, yeah, don't ask anyone to do anything. I do it myself, but if I'm still doing it, <laughs> that's a whole other thing to navigate. Um, you want to set, you know, very clear expectations, uh, but to also get people's input on what they want, what they think is fair. Right. Um, inviting people to collaborate alongside you in terms of designing, uh, an ideal work environment really is one of the, was one of the best ways to empower people and also to get more buy in, Right. Um, one thing we love doing in leadership workshops is when they set kind of the rules for the group and we always ask them do you like starting on time i was like well yeah Mm -hmm. it's like okay what do you mean by starting on time oh Mm -hmm. be here within five minutes of like the hour or things like that right and now like because as soon as you set a boundary and people's hearts aren't in it right they're going to look for loopholes instead of honoring the intent behind the rule right Mm -hmm. so yeah, one of my mistakes early on was thinking, "Oh, well, my teams worked in pharmacies before; they should know that they should be on time." And I found out very quickly that um, there are people that, unless you put structures in place, um, giving them too much free will is actually uh, lets them be lazy because they think, "Well, if there are no rules, right? Then you know I don't have to follow anything, and mm-hmm. they won't mind if I'm late. They don't mind if, if, as long as as long as I'm not enforcing consequences, they're not going to do anything differently." Uh, So that was a tough lesson for me to think that, oh, I can just be laid back. I can be like the laid back leader and, you know, I'll have to, you know, have these hard conversations or deal with these challenges, you know, ideally that I just feel like the Pied Piper and they just follow me everywhere. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, You learn quickly that uh, the best ways to make sure people do what's necessary is that you hold them to a level of public accountability. And I'll give I'll give an example because this is a two-pronged thing that I, I can't believe actually went through, but uh, it it somehow got us across the finish line and I'll explain in a second. So at one point my team uh, was not picking up the phones promptly enough. Mm-hmm. And this was a problem because some people knew how to hit DND and there was no way to call them on it except, you know things wouldn't ring or they wouldn't pick up. And they, everyone can say, no, 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 like I, I do my part. It's just like, no, no, no. Clearly there's a difference between what people are saying they're doing and then what's actually happening. And yeah. so... And, and
0: for, for our listeners, the amount of time it takes for you to pick up the phone is a quality metric that pharmacists are measured on as well.
1: Unfortunately, yeah. It's almost yeah. like Big Brother. It's like, so how do yes. you know this better than they know better? But even, even if you're working for a good company that doesn't like put like data measuring, you know, uh, devices in your phones. Um, you still have some like art- arbitrary standard, right? Hey, pick it up by the third ring. Right. Please. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so the funny thing is it got so bad that, um, we decided to implement a weekly call log and say, okay, every Wednesday, everybody needs to turn in their call log and document every call that they picked up mm-hmm. and, um. So initially the problem stopped because they realized if I don't have anything to turn in, I'm probably gonna get in trouble. And so the initial fear of that was enough to kind of put them in line. And all of a sudden the problem stopped, but not for long. Exactly. <laughs> and some people started turning in their reports late. Some people like were wondering, well, what is he, what's Jerry even doing with these? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, does, does he look at them? And I said, yeah, I'll look at them. But nothing was happening after I looked at them. And so they still continued to kind of default yeah. to this thing. And so, you know, we were sad that it came to this, but clearly they've shown that they can't, you know, handle it. So okay, so the next phase uh, was to not only take the reports but to study them, and we would have a public, we, and we, because we had morning meetings now, like we would, and we would report this, and so we would say, okay, we would set a tally for everybody, right, and tell a tally everyone's up and say, you know. You know dan had 50 calls this week you know uh you know uh, lisa had you know 25 so she's kind of like the low end of the group right and so as soon as we uh put this in play right people realized they didn't want to be like the low number (laughs) (laughs) because they didn't want to risk that and you know we'd look at averages and highs and things like that um ironically enough at one point when things got better and they said well can we stop uh and i said sure and my other pharmacist said, that was really generous of you. And I said, well, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. It went back to bad habits very quickly. And I yeah. said, by your own account, you have shown that you need this system in place. So mm-hmm. don't get on me for implementing it. Because clearly, mm-hmm. um, without this level of accountability, things aren't getting done. To their credits, after about two months, after like the habits were solidified and the numbers looked good, week after week after week, I said, okay, you guys can petition when you guys want to stop this right yeah. and as long as um the numbers like no one's complaining no one's getting frustrated uh because you know people are trying to get away with things or so you know yeah you can you can stop turning the reports it's no longer mandatory and if at some point right it goes back to bad habits no nope, this system's going to come back because clearly you guys have consistently performed well when it is in place Uh, And thankfully that, you know, we got past that. Um, So it hasn't been a problem since, but uh, I can assure you it took a long time (laughs) for them to really grow up and and get to that point.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I love, I love all of that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. So I've, I've sort of oversimplified you know, the hierarchy that exists in a workplace, but mm-hmm. it's never that simple, right? There's always, you know, like we'll take pharmacy, for example. Yeah. There's technician. Oh, sometimes, and then sometimes the clerks. Yeah. The gen, clerks, right. Yeah, so yeah. the clerks come sometimes come in and out yeah. and yeah. then you've got technicians, you've got your lead tech, you've got your pharmacist, you, then you've got your PIC your pharmacist in charge. Then you have your district manager and it keeps going up and up. So what happens if you're somebody in the middle of that hierarchy and yeah. you have those above you and you have those below you. And I don't like using those, those phrases, but okay. as far yeah. as the leadership um, hierarchies yeah. and, and, you know, and there's somebody who is managing you who, who isn't meeting your expectations. How mm-hmm. how do you step into leadership when you're not the leader? Oh, how do you great. Manage great that question.
1: Conflict. Yeah. Navigating the sandwich, right? Like people yeah. answer to you and then that. you start to answer to someone else and you're like, how do we, what happens? You got to get through the crust
0: to get to the middle, right? Oh
1: yeah. Or yeah. Or even worse, you know, someone you, someone who answers to you, isn't happy with you. So they go above mm-hmm. you and then they come down like hot yes. lava on you. And then you just feel, you know, basically. Oh, I want to know
0: all of that. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, cause I've dealt with it. And well, part of it, you know, uh, there's a great book I've referenced several times in other podcasts called Designing Your Work Life. And they talk about mm-hmm. the distinction between influence and authority and where those two intersect or where they don't intersect at all. And that's really um, when you kind of place everyone in your immediate circles on that grid as to whether or not someone has one or both or neither. Now, you know, right. Where the leverage really mm-hmm. uh, lies, Right. And, you know, I'll give an example. Um, I think you and I both know people who are content with not a title, like they don't have a title, right? Mm -hmm. But they live in such a way where people follow the example. So they have a high level of influence, even though they have, they technically don't have the authority, right? Mm -hmm. They have credibility, but not authority to like, you know, they're not the, you know, chief in command, right? Other people have authority, but no influence, right? Some might even reference some past presidents in this example, right? Just because you have to address him as president doesn't mean you like the guy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to mention names. It's not hard to come up with some. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but that's the point, right? And those times you have to be smart about things and say, well, there's a great phrase I heard called you salute the rank and not the man, right? You say, okay, I don't agree with this authority in front of me, but I am going to Um, still honor them in a way where even if I am quietly frustrated, I still need to do my job. I still want to make them look good. And because politically that is in my best interest because my boss has a lot of leverage on me and I need to be sure that this is not a bridge that I need to burn just because I think he's a jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, part of it is just be willing to have that conversation. Right. And when you frame it for their benefit, they're, always gonna be happy to have it right when I go to my boss and they something they say something like hey boss I just want to be sure I am doing everything you need me to and I'm being the best you know worker bee that you need me to be like can we talk about you know would you be willing to give me some suggestions or your take on you know what made you successful or what some best practices you have so that I can mm-hmm. consider them for my own thing. And here's the thing guys I need to preface this or in you know, follow-up with this if this is not sincere this will not work if you're simply doing this just to butter him up and stroke his ego, you know, that might get you somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you honestly play the long game and realize, Hey, like, unless I'm honestly willing to let this guy be a mirror for me, for my own improvement, so I can really take care of my own team and to really, you know, solidify my relationship with him. Um, it's not going to fly. Like people can see through fakes more, more easily than you give them credit for. Mm -hmm. So, um, Yeah, I think that's what I would do in that situation. Just to say, Hey, look, yeah. How is my relationship with my boss? Right. Um, do I, am I willing to do what I need to, in order to make sure that we are allies? Um, I'll give an example from a past client, you know, he was scared for his job security. He didn't want to, you know, get swept away in the next round of cuts. And so the best thing he did was to go to his boss and say, Hey boss. You know, how do I, what do I need to do to be sure that I develop the skills or solve problems to be sure that the company keeps me on payroll, right? Mm -hmm. How do I make you look good, right? Like no one's going to, no one's going to like turn down that discussion. Hey boss, how do I make sure that I'm the best teammate you need me to be, Mm -hmm. right? Because it is in your best interest to get along with your boss, like, and and make sure you do the work your boss needs you to do uh, in order to really protect each other.
0: Mm. Yes, absolutely. Something else that you do, which I find is really interested and interesting and needed, is uh, you you provide consultation for hiring manage, for hi, for hiring managers or just for I hiring can. in general. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, you know what what piece of advice do you have for those who are building a team when it comes to interviews and and going through resumes and cover letters. How how do you know who would make a valuable team addition versus who may look good on paper or may may interview well, but their self-awareness or their emotional intelligence is, is less than less less than, I would say. Yeah. No, that's
1: a great question. Honestly, because um, I've been guilty of it myself. There is a tech we thought. He said all the right things about integrity and he's bilingual he flamed out after six months so i'll let me just preface this by saying no i'm happy to tell people i've made mistakes in this arena Mm um one ebook that a friend shared with me i think is really good called the mom test where you learn to ask questions beyond like the usual stuff you know people can prepare for and i'll give an example um let's say you're a candidate for a law firm right and you're trying to in, in this case, right, you're trying to interview the company to see what they're actually about instead of the image they're trying to present you in order to convince you to work for them. Right. You don't just ask, "Hey, how's your work-life balance?" Oh, it's great. Right. You ask a, a more pointed question to say, "Hey, you know, how often do you have to stay late at work?" Mm-hmm. Like, or not even that direct. Maybe you ask, "You know, when was the last time you had dinner with your family?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have to give you an honest answer. Right. Because if, and if they try to skirt it, then, you know, you, you know, just don't, just don't work for them. Like if they can't give you like an honest estimate as to, to, to answer that question, no, that's a bad sign already. Right. Same thing for me on the interviewing side. Well, what I'll ask about is like, what was the last book you read? Right. Cause mm-hmm. I'm looking for things where are they improving themselves on their own? Right. Are yeah. they, are, yeah. do they have an interest in things? Do they like to learn things? Um, I'll, I'll, t- I'll give a funny example. So there was one time we were interviewing for a technician and I asked her, well, what do you do with your free time? And she goes, oh, um, I'm redoing my kitchen. And I was like yourself. And she's like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm just really hands-on and crafty and i like designing things. And I clearly I hired her and she was an amazing technician because, <laughs> you know, how she handled herself off the clock was a good indication of how yeah. she could probably handle herself, handle herself, handle herself on the clock. Um I'll go ahead and say this though, guys. Uh, why why guess when you can know, right? Um, one of the best things any company could do, and one of my previous employers did, that if you made it past the resume and interview stage, they just gave you a 30-day contract without putting you on payroll. And I realized there's like complicated labor laws and things like that. So But at the end of the day, you need a trial period because a month long sample size will tell you more about how they actually carry themselves on the clock than any interview or resume is going to do for you. And I'll be happy to admit, I know how to design a good resume. I know what to ask Mm -hmm. in an interview to get, you know, people's attention. Right. When I say things like, well, what's what's a typical day like? Right. What are the challenges you expect me to meet daily? You know, what are the big problems you need me to solve? Right now? you know, what's your ideal candidate, right? Tell me about your ideal candidate, right? And I know I need to ask questions because the more I get the interviewer to talk, the more likely I am to get the job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing all sorts of like weapons out there and I have no <laughs> idea how people are going to use them. So <laughs> I've seen it from both sides. And really, honestly, the best thing to do is just test them, right? Uh, Zappos has a fun example from a, uh, because what they do is they have like this tripwire where they, you know, in the second round of interviews or so or trainings, they tell people, hey, we'll give you, if you don't feel like this is a good fit for you, we'll give you a $1,000 severance right now. Just pull a trainer aside and we just pay you a thousand bucks to leave because it's cheaper for us to go ahead and give you a $1,000 now than to fire you after nine months of wasted labor, right? Where you're dragging down not only your yourself, but your team and our numbers, No, like $1,000 or whatever severance that they offer that's, that's an easy decision to cut that off. Right. And, um, but yeah, just to have these kind of measures in place where you can see people for who they actually are, how they actually are on the clock and how they present themselves.
0: Mm, perfect. Amazing. So I'm, I'm curious, something that I've, I've only briefly touched upon on this podcast and something that I, I, I would really love to dive more deeply into even just for a moment. I'd, yeah. I'd love to know how, Life, I don't want to say life, how you've navigated all of these challenges while mm-hmm. also being an Asian American yourself. <laughs> to use your same question that you just said, yeah. what's a day in the life?
1: Yeah. Um, what does it look like? No, it's a great question. Um my routine, uh, if things are going the way they need to, and you know, no special exceptions, right? I'll wake up, um, I'll journal. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll meditate for somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes. Um, I'll read a, you know, a couple pages of a book that I'm going through, or, you know, I'll work on a blog post or get some other thoughts on paper, plan out the day. Um, you know, I have a, I have a pretty set breakfast routine. I get some, I do some morning like core exercises and then, you know, I finish my breakfast. I I'm out the door. I pray on the way to work. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully for me in a city like houston you know i don't deal with a lot of like racial issues like mm-hmm. directly um you know i go to work um my day-to-day challenges include yeah making sure any prescriptions that arrive at our farms they're accounted for um, and make sure the technicians uh, prioritize their days i always ask questions and say hey what's the most important thing to take care of today or what's on your plate today right and let them tell me because maybe they tell me something I wasn't aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's also to center them and get them to say, okay, yeah, let me go ahead and organize, you know, what I have to do today, instead of just kind of letting it roll around in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the evening, uh, it depends on what activities you get plugged into, whether it's with a church group or a salsa dancing group, or you know, definitely I lead a book discussion every the first Wednesday of every month. Um mm-hmm. uh, you know, just to see who shows up and wants to network and you know, get some literature, uh, you know, interesting literature to see if they can apply it in their own lives. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 a those are those are typically what my days are like, you know, a couple errands, nothing. <laughs> you know, it's irony that and it's ironic that in the middle of a pandemic, like my life is actually pretty boring, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: it, it's rich. It sounds it, rich, though. No, it's time. no I'm
1: grateful. Believe me uh, to be in this position is, uh, I have to, I'm grateful for my parents for, you know, as as much conflict as I've dealt with them in terms of the the direction of my life, you know, had they not taken the chance to move over from Taiwan to start a life here, I wouldn't be where I am now. So Mm -hmm. I need to be very grateful for that. And then just all the people along the way that I've met, uh, that have given me good advice and, you know, shown me some tough love when necessary and just say, Hey, you got to grow up now, right? You gotta, you gotta handle this. If you don't, handle this, you're going to be dealing with it for a much longer time. So, you know, how much longer can you afford to tolerate this? Um, you know, a good chunk of my time is helping with worthy causes, uh, whether it's like nonprofits doing work in third world countries or other things like that. It's fun to, you know, uh, realize you're working for something bigger than just a paycheck. I think that's, that's a big thing. Um, but yeah, also lots of networking. Um, I'll give an example, for instance, of of the kind of discussions that Asian Americans uh can may come across. So at one point I was at an international networking event several months ago in the middle of the pandemic. Well, kind of when things were getting better and people were able to meet in person again, mm-hmm. sort of. And uh I happened to meet an older white gentleman. Um, and this is during the height of like the Asian hate crimes, like in Atlanta yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And this guy, you know, we meet, we talk and he says, he goes, so let me ask you something. He goes, you know, all these Asian hate crimes, like, like have you dealt with anything like this? Is it really as bad as I say it is? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could, I initially, I, I slowed down for a second. I thought, well, you know, I can take this one of two ways. One, he's genuinely curious and concerned for my well-being, and just wants to hear, you know, how has this affected me? Right. Mm-hmm. The other that he that I sensed but you know had no confirmation on really was that you know are they just making a bigger deal out of this than it ought to be right because there is some degree of media sensationalism right they mm-hmm. don't show mm-hmm. things unless they're unless he gives them ratings and I thought to myself well you know people are dying like <laughs> you know you can't how can you you know downplay that but yeah. I said you know let me let me see uh let me see what he does with this and I say this conversation not to be like yeah I showed him it's like no like this is the kind of conversation I hope more Asians can have, you know, up open. And so I told this guy, I said, Hey, look, um, let me, let me ask you your thoughts on this. Did you know that Houston's Chinatown was built on discrimination? And he goes, what do you mean by that? He said, really, what do you mean by that? You know, I said, well, at one point, uh, you know, city officials decided they didn't like all the Asians here. So they sequestered them in the Southwest part of the city. Then to add further insult to injury uh they they zone the area in such a way where they divide it up in two parts so that they can't even concentrate all their all their political capital into one vote right Mm -hmm. so not only do they sequester them they don't even give them a voice in in government right so have i experienced any uh physical violence thankfully no I know plenty of Asians who have right in New York and, you know, there's all sorts of other places where there there's the hate crimes in Atlanta, right? There's clearly evidence of this. I thankfully have not experienced that, but, but there is still an oppressive system in play uh, that's done out of fear. And just because that's not causing physical violence doesn't mean it's okay. Right. So, you know, it's like, wow, that's you know, it didn't da, da, da. It's like, okay, well, hey, you know, I'm not here to embarrass you, right? We're just here to have a good time. So, you know, something to chew on. If it changes your mind, great. If not, hey, you know what? I may never see you again. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's okay.
0: Wow. Do you do you feel? And I actually I shouldn't even phrase it that way. Do you did you have areas of conflict in life? Because you were Asian American, oh, of course, that you, you think that you wouldn't have had. Okay, yeah. could you? You're so good at providing examples. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to hear a, a couple that might resonate with someone in our in our audience that that needs to know that their voice matters, that they matter, and and what they can do moving forward.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, like I can think of simple examples. So now was a kid, where You know, people would talk in mock Asian accents to me, thinking that that was the best Mm -hmm. way to me for me to understand what they're saying. I remember getting in a tip with a girl in elementary school and she goes, Go back to Japan where you belong. It's like, Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not I was born here, my parents are from Taiwan, like why would I go back to Japan? (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't that just doesn't add up. Right. And then, you know, another kid, you know, at swim lessons was like, Hey, I know kung fu, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Here's another fun one that comes to mind. There was a, a guy I went to pharmacy school with, and um, he just thought it was funny when we had a, a Japanese anatomy professor who spoke with an accent, and he'd go, hey, Jerry, he's like, you know what I hear when I hear Dr. Kita talk? And I was like, what? Goes, Wang, Chong, Ching, Chong, Chang, and he's just all like, mm-hmm. you know, thinking it's all funny, and I just kind of roll my eyes. And what's even funnier is that one of my other classmates felt like he was more offended for me than I was for myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's like, Jerry, you offended. I think, I mean, he shouldn't do that. I'm just like, look, I'll fight my own battles. It's thank you for, you know, feeling like you need to step in and you know, really like, I'm not worried about him as much because I know he's not a threat. And at the same time, yeah, like it's, it's okay. Like I'll, I'll, I'll deal with, I'll deal with this, but yeah, I mean, You know, to tell someone in hindsight in those situations, right? To say, okay, David, you know, what made you say that? Like, why is that funny? Right? And to give other Asians the courage to say these things, right? Hey, you don't don't have to be like, oh, that's offensive because that'll play right into their hands. Like, they know how much it bothers you. Like, you've already lost. But to kind of be this powerful mirror, hey, can you unpack that a little more for me? Because um I'm not gonna get mad, I'm not gonna judge, and if this relationship really is important to you, um we need to talk about this. And I'd rather do it now than later, right? And to give people that kind of you know scripting where they realize, oh hey, I'm scared, but if I follow this script, like I can be certain of a better outcome. Um I think that I would want that for any Asian.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I've had similar, I don't remember where I picked it up from, but as a woman, it, it, there's plenty of scenarios where men joke around and telling sexist jokes in front of yeah. you. And, yeah. and I've, I've learned something similar, and I don't remember where I read it from or, or where I picked it up from, but it was to the similar, to your similar example, asking, well, what do you mean by that? And that again, it's it's not it doesn't put them on the defense. It's really just a thought, suppo- intending to be a thought-provoking question and also a very potent mirror, a reflection of, listen, that wasn't okay. Yeah. But like you said, let's unpack this. So thank you for sharing. I think that's that's very important to have. And and there's conflict right there too, right? Not yep. not avoiding that because avoiding is easier. Of course. Jerry, this has been such an awesome conversation. I loved every single moment of it. What do you have coming up where people can tap into your energy? Where, where do you hang out where they can find you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, just look for the Conflict Resolution Coach. Uh, there aren't that many of us yet. We'll see. Yeah. Um, the website i have up that you can visit which has a lot of free goodies on it is www.adaptingleaders.com and that some of the stuff that you can get up there i have a free download with the framework on how to handle hard conversations you can schedule a complimentary 30-minute call just share your story or hey i got a situation to work on no strings attached Mm -hmm. uh you can also check out my book blog. Well, and I talk about other things on the blog as well, but I like to summarize, uh, you know, useful and interesting leadership books and give my takeaways on it. So if you don't have time to read, just check out the blog. Uh, but yeah, all that's available. And those are attached on the website. If you want a formal coaching package for yourself or for an organization that you're involved with that could use this kind of, that is dealing with these challenges and, you know, you think that my help could uh, really help transform your, your, your company's culture, organizational culture, Yeah, yeah. Just schedule that call and see what happens.
0: Yeah, so amazing. Thank you so much, Jerry, for being here, being you and doing what you do.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to help. And thank you for uh thank you for allowing us to have this space where we can unpack some really difficult things.